welcome to the Peds NP, Pearls of Pediatric Evidence-Based Practice, where you get a daily dose of practical advice that's founded in the literature. I'm Becky Carson, Assistant Professor at Catholic University of America and boy mom to a charming two-year-old who says the darndest things. The other night, my husband and I were putting him to bed, and the last part of our nighttime routine is to say night-nights. We go through the house and say night-night to our dogs, night-night to Al, the elephant, night-night mommy, night-night daddy. It was pure vanity to think that all the work my husband and I put into caring for and raising our son warrants any little nugget of appreciation in return, like a sweet voice saying, night-night mommy. But no, silly mommy, all this language development is not for you. As I laid him down, he responded, Night-night laundry. The laundry gets a good night, but all we get is more laundry. We talked a lot this week about clarifying what kids mean when they tell you something. Layman's terms can be tricky, and you need to make sure that your definition meets theirs. You know how I feel about the word lethargy. Most parents mean fatigued or tired when they say it, but the true definition of the word refers to an altered level of consciousness that's a symptom of something greater affecting their CNS. I had a couple of great examples this week that fit our discussion of the gastrointestinal system. The first was a nine-year-old girl who presented with acute right lower quadrant pain that started a few hours ago. She pointed right to McBurney's point as the location of her pain, but she hadn't had any fever, nausea, vomiting, dysuria, or diarrhea. In fact, she had had an easy bowel movement, but that made her stomach hurt worse. Aha, are you following me yet? The bearing down activated her abdominal muscles and it hurt the inflamed peritoneum. Another question I always ask in acute presentations of right lower quadrant pain is, how was your ride over here? The mom answered, fine. But I knew better, so I turned to the patient to let her answer for herself. She corrected her mom. No, mom, when you wiggled the car, it wasn't okay. And she pantomimed what mom looked like turning the steering wheel quickly to change lanes. Her mom looked indignant at the backseat driver, but I nodded approvingly, confident that the story fit my suspicions of an acute abdomen. The car wiggling was an equivalent to saying that going over speed bumps hurt or jumping up and down hurts. In fact, you could see from her face that any movement hurt. So as I asked to examine her and told her to lay down from our seated position, she gave me a death stare. I did a couple of peritoneal exams, but really, I knew what I needed to know just by watching her lie down. She moved around the exam table using her arms as much as possible so that she didn't have to activate her abdominal muscles that wrap around her inflamed peritoneum. After all, that's what many of our exams are looking for, like the psoas sign or obturator sign. And the same jarring motion or bump in the road that forces the same core abdominal muscle support can make it hurt. You can elicit this on exam with a jump test. And it was no surprise that she had peritoneal signs, so I referred her to the emergency department for an ultrasound, and she's now recovering status post a laparoscopic appendectomy. It's not only kids that say the darndest things. Sometimes it's the parents. And it's important for you to clarify what a parent means when they go ahead and give you the diagnosis. For instance, I saw a three-year-old boy this week with constipation and diarrhea for four weeks. That sounds like an oxymoron, right? We need a description of what's happening so that we can build our differential diagnosis in the right direction. 
Mom reports that he's not yet potty trained with bowel movements, and he prefers to stool in his diaper. So when she puts a diaper on him for nap time, he'll sometimes immediately go into the other room, squat, and have a bowel movement, while other times he might stool while sleeping at nap time or overnight. And when stool issues started about four weeks ago, he had initially had a flu-like illness with terrible URI symptoms, fever, vomiting, and diarrhea. Everything resolved after a few days except the stool issues. And now he alternates between having hard, difficult, ball-shaped bowel movements accompanied with pain and wincing and liquid stool that flows out of the diaper and down his legs. We saw him for that original illness a month ago, and he now weighs 0.6 kilos less than he did then. Overall, this represents a 5% weight loss, which is still mild dehydration. But remember that serial growth measurements are more valuable than one or two plotted points. I found myself wondering what was the trajectory of his growth prior to this, but I didn't have the benefit of his well-child EMR. I couldn't tell. Did he truly have one month of diarrhea? Or did he have an inciting illness that was a negative experience that sent his prior withholding behavior into the deep end and now he's really holding it and having overflow in caprices? The latter seemed more likely to me given his intermittent constipation. But I felt like the weight loss and initial illness were somewhat of red flags that I couldn't ignore. So I sent a stool culture and lactoferrin at the advice of my favorite pediatric gastroenterologist in a curbside consult. I was glad I did because the lactoferrin was negative, which reassured me. His stool culture came back positive a few days later for astrovirus. Because children can shed that pathogen for three weeks or so after the self-limited illness resolves, there's typically not anything more to do. And since I didn't have any concern for an immunocompromised state based on the remainder of his history, we can finally piece together what's happening. He's clearly able to withhold stool effectively. Well, most of the time. And he stools when he's relaxed in a place of comfort until that overflow gets to be too much. I advised mom on the management of constipation, including medications and behavior, using positive reinforcements to help build good habits. And I asked that she follow up with her PCP in one week for a weight check and to see how the stool management is going. The big take-homes today are that you should make sure that your definition of words matches your patient's actual symptoms by asking clarifying questions. Rule out red flags on GI presentations with a thoughtful history and a thorough physical exam, which might require a rectal exam if it won't be traumatizing for the patient. And when it comes to ordering tests for a kid that you're worried about, trust your gut. I'm Becky Carson. Take care.